Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Daniel Kwok. And he first immigrated to the United States with his family at the age of five. And he has a really great story where he and his brother and his family had a lot of financial hardships coming into the United States as immigrants. But through perseverance and by the age of 23, he had ended up with 83 rental units and has raised over multi-millions of dollars in capital and have also done a variety of different deals and strategies. And at age 26, Daniel founded Miodi Partners Capital, a core satellite fund that has introduced the equities fund management model into the real estate space for the first time. So Daniel, welcome to the show and how are you doing today? I'm good. And by the way, your pronunciation of Miotti is actually the correct Italian version uh, oh. <laughs> of that word. So my company, Miotti Partners Capital, so Americans, i.e. me, someone who's whitewashed, we say Miotti, right? But the pronunciation is uh, Miotti. So the, real quick, the backstory behind that is that's my wife's maiden name. And my wife and I, we got married about two, three years ago. And my wife has all sisters. So she is the middle child of three sisters. My father-in-law, however, is the only male in the family. So he had all sisters. He was the only dude. He was the youngest. And you know he only had daughters. So I remember the first date that my wife and I went on. And my wife and I, we had a very, very interesting first date. We actually went out and looked at expensive houses. So I don't know if you and your husband like to do that or if anybody listening to the podcast love doing it. But one of my favorite things that my wife and I love to do is we love driving around and looking at really cool mansions. Mm -hmm. And obviously living near Chicago, there's no shortage of really nice big mansions. So I remember on our first date, we were driving through this neighborhood and the houses there are on average, and we looked them up on Zillow, right? On average, we're probably between five, $10 million. And uh, there's one thing my wife mentioned to me. She, she said this in passing. And at the time, she was just a girl that I had a really big crush on. And she was like, you know, one of the things that my dad's really upset about is the fact that, you know, he had no sons. He only had daughters. And the name is not going to get passed down. And obviously, you know, she's Italian. And my, you know, my father-in-law's full-blown Italian, like 100% as Italian as you get, like more Italian than Mario and Luigi, right? And one of the things that he just really anguished him was the fact that the name isn't going to be passed down. Obviously, with Italians, that's a big deal, you know, the name. And so when I when I started my equity firm, our real estate company, you know, this is my legacy play, right? This is the stuff that God has called me to do until, you know, he tells me not to do it anymore. So I decided to name it Miati, right? AKA Miotti. So that way the name can continue to live on, right? And his legacy can continue to be passed on. So when you said it, the pronunciation was spot on. So congratulations, Eileen. You are, oh. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but hey, you do now. I was Italian in my past life, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. 
Sorry, we should probably be talking about real estate, not not Italian pronunciation. Oh, but. no, but no, I love that because I love hearing about the background of the story of how you guys came up with the name of your company and everything. Like that. And what a great way to create this legacy for your father-in-law and for your wife by embodying it in your own company. So yeah, I think that that's wonderful. Yeah. So Daniel, I would love to hear you know a little bit more about like your background when you first got to the United States and your brother, and how did that kind of play into getting into real estate and where you are today? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Now, and I'll try to keep this short because I know and I'm an avid podcast consumer and listener. And uh, you know, one of my big pet peeves is when the speaker talks way too much about himself or herself. And for me, it's like, no, man, like I want the juice. So I'll do my best to make this quick, and then hopefully talk about as much opportunities and hopefully a lot of content, a lot of value. For your listeners, whether they're passive investors or whether they're active investors, I'll do my best to give as much value as I can. But long, long story short, I immigrated to Chicago when you know I was five years old. My brother was seven at the time, and my dad was and still is a pastor. So you know we have a very big faith background. We moved from South Korea, flew fourteen hours into Chicago to the United States. And what's funny is that my journey to being a real estate investor started even back then. I didn't learn about real estate until I was 18 years old. But at the time when I was in Korea, I'll explain, I was a huge basketball fan, like a giant basketball fan. I remember my older cousin played on his high school team. And, you know, I, my mom bought me the little hoop that when you're, you know, four or five years old, you play on. And I remember watching the Korean basketball league. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys are like the best players in the world, Right. So I remember when we were uh, flying and immigrating to the United States, I was bummed out, right? Like during that 14 hour plane ride, like, you know, I was crying because, you know, my, my friends are, are all still in Korea, my church, a lot of my family, my aunts and uncles, my cousins. And, you know, on top of all of that, I thought that I was going to no longer be able to watch basketball or play basketball by going to the United States. I was like, I don't know what sports they play here. You know, it's a completely <laughs> different world. And I get off the gate and this is the late nineties, Mike. I get off the gate, we're in Chicago, and I don't know if you remember these old box TVs that they used to hang in the corners of the airports, right? So you had to have the news, right? There would be a ticker on the bottom, and just, you know, just like how when we were all young and we had to see if school was closed, right? We had to look at the TV. It was like the NBA draft, right? As opposed to now where everyone gets like an automated text, you know, from, but I remember getting off, being five years old, I get off the gate and I see the TV, that box TV that's hanging up in the corner of O'Hare. And there's a guy there and he's playing basketball and his skin's a little darker than the Korean players. Right. And uh, this guy was wearing a Chicago Bulls jersey. His number was number 23. And I remember this is the late 90s. Right. He did like this fadeaway jump shot. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I never seen Korean players do that. And it turns out, you know, and I remember saying in that moment, I said, hey, maybe this country isn't so bad after all. And that's going to be my new favorite player. And I later find out, of course, it's, it's Michael Jordan, right? And so I was a diehard Bulls fan growing up. And I remember being 16, 17 years old. I looked up the owner of the Chicago Bulls. And there's this guy named Jerry Reinsdorf. And the way he made his money, and he's a self-made billionaire, right? And the way he made his money was he started investing in real estate when he was in his 20s. And so that's the story, actually, how I found out about real estate investing is because ever since I was a kid, I had dreams of you know, wanting to build hospitals and, and do good, you know, for, I mean, even today, I do pretty well for myself being at the age that I am. And, you know, I still drive a Hyundai, you know, my wife drives a Honda, and, you know, we're not living in a nice mansion or anything like that. But we, we try to give as much as we can, you know, we try to donate to as many causes as we can. And 
that was my dream as a kid. I wanted to build schools, hospitals, donate hundreds of millions of dollars to charity. And I asked myself, how can I get there? And once I found out what Jerry Reinsdorf did to make his money, that's when the journey of real estate started for me. Got it. And so, you know, it's great that you found inspiration through somebody that you idolize and somebody that you really looked up to and, you know, wanting to follow in their footsteps because what they say is success leaves clues, right? So you just take a look at whoever you want to emulate and then follow what they're doing. And then you eventually, maybe you'll get somewhere close to what they're getting or surpass them or whatever like that, but you can follow in what they're doing. So for you, Daniel, after you figured that out, that you wanted to invest in real estate, what were some of the things that you first did in order to kind of get started? If you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I believe if you, and, and by the way, I love the fact that you said success leaves clues because one of the clues that a lot of times success leaves is in order for you to be successful, you have to immerse yourself in whatever you do. You know, I mean, I was reading articles about Michael Phelps, how he would train, you know, I mean, religiously, right? Eight, nine, 10, 14 hours a day, you know, stories like Kobe Bryant, where he would wake up at 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. And so what, that's what I did to start. I immersed myself in the world of real estate. I mean, I would get up and, and by the way, at 18 and, you know, maybe somebody listening to this podcast would say, oh, you know, he had an advantage, right? Or, you know, he grew up rich or whatever. Not the case, right? So I remember when I was 18, I looked down at my phone and I saw 100 uh, negative. in my bank account. And that's a negative number. You know, this is not some rags to riches story or whatever, you know, like look at me, you know, it's not that, but it's just me sharing what my journey was. And, you know, obviously my dad being a pastor, I didn't really have much of a network within the business community. And I, I don't know how you and your husband got started. I'd love to know. Right. But for me, that's, I immersed myself. So I bought every single course I could. I went to every single event that I could. And for three years, I would get up very early. I mean, you're talking, you know, for me anyways, it's early, six, seven in the morning. And I would go to sleep being a night owl. I go to sleep at two, 3 a.m., sometimes even four. And I would just study. I would learn all, as much as I can about investment markets and real estate. And, you know, I would read up on different things. And it was ultimately to answer the question, why did my family grow up poor when other families didn't? That's the ultimate question that I wanted to get an answer to. And so I immersed myself for three years. All I did was learn. And I was very frustrated at the end of those three years, you know, because although I knew a lot about real estate, I made no money, right? So I don't know if somebody listening to this podcast, maybe you're in your car listening to this and like, yes, this guy completely gets me, right? But that's where I was, three years of hard, hard work. I'd be the smartest guy in every single room I walked into when it came to investing in real estate, yet I had nothing to show for it. So I don't know what everybody's faith background is, but for me, whenever I get frustrated, I go to God. I treat God the same way as I treat with my dad, right? If I have a problem, I'm just going to go to my dad, see what he has to say about it. And he took me to this passage in scripture. It's in John chapter 13. And just to kind of give you some context, and I'll be very quick with this. He said in John chapter 13, right, there's this guy named Jesus in the Bible. And, you know, he has this realization. He has a moment where he realizes he's the most powerful being in the universe. And in response to that feeling, he begins to do the thing that was reserved for the lowest ranking servant at that time, which is to wash the feet. Right, so he begins to wash the feet of his disciples in response to him realizing he's the most powerful being in the universe. And what God told me in that moment is, Daniel, the problem with you is that you have a great mind, but every time you leave a room, the people's feet are still dirty. You need to fix that. And so I asked myself, what is the most simplest way I can begin to serve people? Right. And a lot of people listening to this, I'm sure there's got to be at least one. You know, I've trained and mentored enough real estate entrepreneurs and investors to know there's at least one person in every single room who they feel like they know a lot about real estate, but they just have the toughest time converting that to an actual blueprint. 
towards action steps, towards things that they can do every single day, every week, and every month to help them build their financial goals and success. So I get a notepad out, very similar to this thing, you know, something like a 90s journalist would carry around. And I asked about five to 600 people this one simple question. And I attribute a lot of my success to this one question. And this one question is, what are some of the biggest obstacles you're currently facing financially? And I wrote down, I collected data of, of five, 600 people. And about 70% of those people said that, hey, I don't have enough capital to be able to get my deals done, right? And 5% of people, however, will say something along the lines of, you know, Daniel, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I make, you know, $750,000 a year. I want to put my money in real estate because I believe in the power of investing in real estate, but I don't have the time, I don't have the money, and I don't have the intellectual capital to get these deals done. And so what I would offer, right, what I did in, in that case is I offered to connect those two people together. The people who had the money, I'd say, hey, look, I've got a lot of these people. I got hundreds of people who are saying that they have the deals, they just need the money. I know a lot about real estate. What if I vetted these deals for you and I connected those people so that you can invest in these deals? And I gave without expecting anything in return. I did all this without trying to make money or trying to take advantage of people. You know, at the end of the day, I just want to help them out. And so I did that. And then, you know, before long, this one guy calls me up and he goes, Hey, I just want to appreciate the fact that you introduced me to the person that funded my deals. How would you like 20%? And I said, Oh, all right, sure. And uh, that, that's what allowed me to start learning by doing, by being a partner. And then after that, I went off on my own. And by the time I was 23, I had 87 doors by the time I was 23 years old. And that was represented in, in forms of eight to $10 million worth of real estate. I guess you could say the rest is history. Oh, wow. No, I love that. I loved how you talked about, you know, similar to your story as well. My parents and my husband's family, they came to the United States as immigrants as well. And so oh, wow. we, we know like they came with nothing, basically. They had actually left a country that had just gone undergone like a genocide. And so they came to this country not knowing anything language wise or anything like that. So they built themselves from the ground up. And so when we're studying like real estate, when we found it, it's really like exactly like you said, immersing yourself from the start to the finish and finding those times, the extra times in your day and making those times and effort to put into studying and learning and trying to gain as much knowledge as you can in whatever you want to study and want to learn in so that you can become an expert yourself in it. And so the same thing, like what you were saying, me and my husband, you know, when we started the podcast, we woke up early, we were doing interviews at like five in the morning in between, like we also have two kids. So in between naps, sleeping time and stuff like that. After work, we're sleeping really late. And so we had to like balance our times between what he could do, what I could do and separate and all that stuff. And so it's really just putting like yourself out there and really looking at the time that you have and putting in the effort because everybody has the same amount of time per day in this life. But it depends on how, where do you want to put your efforts in? Are you going to spend it on doing something that's not maybe as that you're not enjoying as much or something that you're enjoying more that you can generate more revenue off of? Why are you doing what you're doing? You know, we're doing it for our families and really just focusing on that and just taking that drive and just moving forward. So I, I love that story that you told. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. So, so for you guys, what are some things that you guys have found really productive to invest in? Productive to invest in? like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of action steps, like for you guys, so this is one of the things that I'm completely obsessed with. I love hearing about like highest quality action steps that it's like the most efficient thing that you can do to achieve your goal. And I know you're supposed to be the one asking the question, so I'm completely like jumping ship here. That's but, okay. <laughs> yeah, but for you guys, like what would you say are like your highest quality action steps towards like even just like with this podcast, but also investing in real estate, being a great mom and great dad? 
Yeah. So first of all, I think the best thing that we did was investing in ourselves and investing in our education time space, because through that, we've been able to build out our network. We've been able to build our education space. And then we've been able to find out different asset spaces within real estate. And so one of the places that we really like to invest in is multifamily and also self-storage. And so for us, you know, those are stabilized asset classes where even through recession time periods, you know, you're still making great returns. It's all operator driven. So you have more control over how the properties are being operated. And it's not just based off of comparables. So you have a lot more control over that. And so one of the things that we really like doing also is creating passive income for ourselves because you can just invest in these deals. And then really what we call it, mailbox money, you know, an operator can do all the work for us. We're just vetting them, creating these great relationships with people and then reaping the rewards with them as they are investing and they're taking care of the properties. So that's what we've have found to be the most valuable because our time is valuable as well. And so we want Mm -hmm. our money to be working hard for us too. Yeah. For you guys, the highest quality action has been identifying great opportunities where you guys can be the passive investors. Yes. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Even if you're an active real estate investor like myself, right? Like we've got a couple of great deals that we're putting together and closing in on the end of the year. But I, I also do a lot of the passive investing too, right? So even with my own opportunities, I'll throw my own money in there. I actually just invested in a board game company. Um, so there was an entrepreneur who's really passionate about, and like for him, it's like a big deal, right? And even his background's like, you know, I felt like board games throughout my child brought our family together. Like some of our moments where we had the most laughter, the most amount of joy, the most amount of intimacy I had with my father and my mother, you know, and, and even my siblings were around board games. And so he created this board game and we, you know, my brother and I, you know, threw some money at it. So no, I think that's fantastic that you and your husband do that. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and so then for you, Daniel, after you invested in, you started getting in real estate, you said you got up to 80, 83 rental units by the time you were 23. Was this a lot of it, was it on your own, like through your own capital or were you also raising capital from other people as well? Oh gosh, no, it was no, no way it was with my own capital. I, I mean, you know, when I first started, I had, like I said, right, negative $187.65 in my bank account. So for me, I see capital and raising capital very differently than most people. Most people see raising capital as, hey, I'm, I'm just raising capital. It's a way for me to fund my deals. You know, the way I've always seen it is, no, like, I'm not raising capital. I'm actually building relationships with investors. And what it is, is it's an exchange, right? So, you know, what they bring to the table is the physical capital. What I bring to the table is the intellectual capital and also the human capital. I believe wholeheartedly that opportunities are, are always greater than money, right? Always greater than capital. And that's something that I, I really have gotten a grasp of over the, over the last few years. So even when I work with other individuals, I see it as an opportunity for me to serve them and an opportunity for me to go, hey, what's the best experience I could provide for the people who are believing in me, You know, who believe in me through not just with their mouths and their hearts and their minds, but also with their money, which a lot of times is the hardest thing to let go of, you know, because, you know, you know, what's that famous phrase, right? You put your money where your mouth is. And so for me, when I started having these great deals, and by the way, I'm a stickler, right? So a lot, a lot of investors, I have this reputation of going through a lot of deals only to make very few offers, right? So even today, you know, I look at probably between three to 500 deals, potential deals every single month. Mm-hmm. And I'll only probably make offers on maybe five or six of them. Just because for me, because I have that relationship with the people who have the capital with the investors, you know, I want to bring them the best. For me, that's how I really see it. I don't see people who, 
oh, well, you know, they have capital, so I'm going to be nice to them and they, they help me achieve my financial goals and whatnot. You know, the way I see it is, look, you know, there's plenty enough to go around. What I really want to do is bring them the best. You know, I don't want to let them down. I really want to make them proud that they put their money with Miani Partners Capital, right? Well, ultimately with me. So I did not do all those deals by myself. <laughs> you know, I definitely had people who believed in me enough to be able to invest the money. And fortunately, a lot of those individuals were very happy with the result. And, you know, knock on wood and also, you know, my own will. But yeah, I've never lost an investor's money on my own transactions. And I never plan on doing that. It's actually weird, right? Like keeps me up at night sometimes, you know, making sure everything's where all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. Yeah, to answer your question in a very long, long way, I definitely did not do it alone. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in this space here, relationships and reputation is very important. And so it's always easy to find deals. It can be so bad when you get into the bad deal. And so it's better to have no deal at all than get into a bad deal. So, (laughs) Yeah, and it's scary, right? We do a lot, especially our portfolio team. We do a lot to make sure that we know what we're getting ourselves into. One of the things that I really wish the real estate industry would do better at you know, so when I look at industries all across the board, one of the biggest components is risk, right? And I, you know, my, my business partner today, he spent 30 years on Wall Street. He was actually one of the top private investment uh, managers at a company called Wachovia, which is now a branch of Wells Fargo. And, you know, very smart guy, right? He actually predicted the 2008 recession before Michael Burry did. And, you know, one of the things that him and I talk a lot about is, is how within the real estate industry, there's a lack of respect for risk seems that everything about in real estate, it's all about well, what's my equity multiple, right? What's my preferred return? What's my internal rate of return? And, you know, one of the things I wish a lot of GPs and sponsors would really start being mindful of is the risk element. So I'll share a quick story, if you don't mind, before you go on to your next yeah, question. Go ahead. So I remember, you know, when I was 23 and, and I accumulated a lot of that success and a lot of people were telling me I, that's not normal. A lot of people were telling me that, hey, most 23-year-olds don't have 8 to $10 million worth of real estate. I got asked to speak a lot. And I was getting invited to a lot of speaking opportunities, you know, a lot of podcasts. And it got to a point where I was actually traveling three to four times a week to different cities, right? I mean, Mike, to give you an idea of what my schedule looked like, I mean, Monday night, I got asked to go to downtown Chicago, do a training there. And, you know, literally Tuesday morning, I wake up at 4.30 a.m., go on an airplane, you know, and go to Minnesota. And then Wednesday night, I was being asked to be in LA. Thursday night, I was being asked to be in Philadelphia. And Friday morning, I come back to Chicago and finally work on my own business. And I did that for about three years. And one of the things I really noticed, and it's actually how my company today came to be, right? It's it's actually how my company today was born. One of the things I started noticing as I travel a lot is I met a lot of people within the real estate industry. And I noticed patterns, right? Like when you start saying things enough, right? When you start meeting enough people within a certain industry, you start noticing patterns, you start noticing gaps. 
And, you know, I would speak to a lot of investors who were passive investors who were limited partners in these big syndications, right? These, you know, the two, 300 unit apartment complex syndications that's really popular today, you know, the REITs. And one of the things that they really communicated was, you know, I wish there was a way where I can invest my money into something that's like a syndication where I get the ownership, where I get issued a K-1 every single year, where I get the tax benefits, I get the dividends, I get the, you know, the growth, right, with forced appreciation. But I wish it was a pool of assets as opposed to just one building. Because one of the things that I heard from a lot of these sophisticated investors was, you know, I invest in this hedge fund, I invest in that hedge fund, and I invest in the bonds and, you know, whatever. It seems that every single place I put my money into, there is a component of mitigating risk. But for some reason, when I invest into my favorite thing, which is real estate, that seems to kind of get thrown out of the wayside. And so that's how actually how my company was born. My partner, Kevin, and I, we spent two years developing a model where we pool assets together and we give investors opportunities to have their capital be secured and collateralized by multiple assets as opposed to like a single asset syndication. That's something that I created, but that's one of the things I really wish I saw within the real estate industry because, you know, obviously you're correct. In the last recession, multifamily stayed strong. But one of the things, if you study throughout history, every asset class experiences some type of downturns eventually. So a lot of people don't know the answer to this question, but actually I'll test you. Eileen, do you know the first asset bubble pop in the history of the United States? So this is the first time we had an asset bubble and it popped and it caused a downturn in, in the U.S. economy. It happened, the first one, would you by any chance know which asset it revolved around? So it actually happened, the first asset bubble pop that caused a downturn in the economy, it happened in 1797. And the asset that it happened around was actually, surprisingly, land. Mm -hmm. So it actually happened around land in, in 1797. So for me, you know, multifamily, is, it's awesome, it's strong. But, you know, I wanted to create something that is, you know, beyond multifamily. But we can also do land development, commercial, depending on how the market's shifting. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what I wanted to create. So that's one of the things I really wish, and I think it will happen, right? But, the, you know, the real estate fund syndication industry is still relatively young, right? It was born in, I mean, 2012 right, with the Jobs Act. So anyways, I think that's just really important for a lot of people to know. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Thank you for that. And so then for you, Daniel, you know, you've built out your business and then you've expanded as well. You have your own following. Can you share some of the strategies that you've utilized in order to build out your network and your followers? Yeah, we have a YouTube audience of about 200,000 subscribers. And, you know, if you count the other people that follow us on different media platforms, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty nice number. And I wish I could tell you the secret, but it actually kind of happened on accident. So I remember when we first started working on our YouTube channel, you know, my brother had posted a video that went viral. It got three and a half million views. And it was literally titled how to pay off your mortgage in five to seven years. And that's actually when we started posting content on our YouTube channel. That's when we started taking it a little more seriously. But in terms of building a network and creating a following, if there's one advice that I can give to somebody that someone can really apply to not only build a great network, but also to build a great following is number one, understand who your ideal client is. Who are you ideally trying to serve? You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make when it comes to raising capital or attracting the right types of people is they don't know who to attract. You know, so it's kind of like when you ask somebody who's single, it's like, hey, who are you looking for? Right. And they give such a generic answer. They're like, well, I want somebody who's good looking, somebody who's cute, somebody who's funny. Right. Well, the truth of the matter is everybody wants those things. 
you know? So what are the specific things that you're exactly looking for? And because a lot of people don't have clarity, it's hard for them to have urgency. And it's hard for people to be attracted to them. It's because of the lack of clarity. So for me, the one advice I would give is, you know, if you, especially if you're an active investor looking to raise capital, I would, one of the first things that I did was based on what my product is, which is my strategy. You know, it's me, my strategy, what the market's doing. It's, and my strategy back then was multifamily. I loved multifamily and that's kind of my bread and butter and how I got my start, right? Most of the units that I got were multifamily. I had specific reasons as to why I was targeting multifamily and not only what, you know, exactly what asset class, right? Like multifamily specifically, but I also had reasons as to why I'm investing in this city, why I'm investing in that particular area, why am I implementing this strategy, you know, and all these reasons were backed by what's happening on the market, what's happening with myself, my team, what's happening in that local micro area of a market. Everything was backed by that. And because I had so much clarity, I was able to figure out, okay, who is the perfect person that would get the most amount of value by investing into these types of deals and investing into these types of strategies? You know, I had three people, one of them were doctors, and I started asking myself, okay, how do I find these individuals? You know, and from then on, it was very easy, right? It was putting a square peg in a square hole because I had designed my product, I had designed my strategy, and I reverse engineered who my ideal client was. And uh, it allowed me to be very specific on who I was targeting. Because um, look, I'm, I have the full realization that, you know, so right now we're, we're closing in on two assets, right? Well, so we're actually, shameless plug, right? We're actually investing in the second fastest growing economic county in the United States. And what's crazy is that no one knows about it. Like we're one of the very few real estate institutions that actually know about the growth that's happening in this particular county of the United States. And we're with a very few that's actually taking action and buying up assets and actually doing stuff with it. So I will tell you wholeheartedly that everybody who has money to invest, every accredited investor should not work with me. I actually believe that 20% of all accredited investors are fit, are good for me, are, we're aligned, right? Like that's who we serve. Don't get me wrong, the 80%, you know, will they make money investing in this? Sure, right? Will they have a great experience investing with us? Absolutely. Will I still look to build a great relationship with the individuals? Absolutely. But I'm here to tell you that there's only probably 10 to 20% of accredited investors in the United States where, hey, this is our ideal client. And therefore, we are ideal also for them. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, we have steps of being able to find out if that is the case. But, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that people should really know when it comes to building their network. Who are they surrounded by? How do you build a big following? Is know your niche, right? And I mean, even if you're trying to build a YouTube channel, I would say, well, who is the specific ideal person that you're looking to make videos for? You know, how old are they? Do they have any kids? What are their beliefs? Who do they vote for in the last election? What do they believe when it comes to finances? So these are the things that I believe are extremely important. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Getting clarity on, you know, what your focus is will definitely help to drive everything else afterwards. And so for you, what's next, Daniel? So, uh... Please don't hate me on this, right? <laughs> but uh, people ask me all the time, it's like, Daniel, what's your goal? What's next for you? So for me, I do not have any goals. And again, it's very rare, right? Because typically in this industry where everybody's so self-driven, it's all about how many hours you work. Uh, everybody's got to have a goal. So a very wise mentor once told me, Daniel, don't set goals, set standards and expectations. Because it's actually the standards and expectations that will most likely help you reach your goal that is beyond. So I'll give you an example. So I remember January 1st of 2017, you know, it's a New Year's resolution. I got out a sheet of paper and I told myself, 
I, Daniel Clock, and I did the whole thing, right? It's like you write your goals in the past tense as if you already achieved them, right? And I said, I, Daniel Clock, have 20 units under my control. And it's, you know, December 31st, 2017, I, Daniel Clock, have 20 units. So that was my goal, 20 units. And my mentor told me, you know, Daniel, don't set goal sets, standards and expectations. Figure out your highest quality action steps that you need to do every single day, every single week, and every single month. And your goals will hit them by themselves. So that's exactly what I did. I spent an entire two weeks sitting down and just thinking through what are my highest quality action steps? What are my KPIs, as I call them, right? Key performance indicators. What are the things that I have to do? So what I did is I took the goal of 20 doors, right? And I reverse engineered who are the people I need to talk to? What are the things I need to do every single day? What are the people I need to attract? What are the resources I need to accumulate? And I boiled it all down by reverse engineering backwards from that 20-unit goal five things I had to do every single day, three things I needed to do weekly, and one thing I had to do monthly. So I had a total of nine action items, five things every single day, three things every single week, one thing every single month. And I did them every single day like clockwork without missing a beat. And by the end, by December 31st, 2017, I ended up with 87. So I more than quadrupled what I initially had as my goal simply by not setting one. But I actually reverse engineer what my highest, you know, and that's actually one of the things that I help build, you know, I help people do because I also coach people in real estate as well. That's one of the things I help them identify. It's hey, let's your goal, that's great, that's fantastic. I'm not against you writing your goal, but let's do something that's a little bit more important, which is what are the things that you got to do every day, every week, and every month for you to hit those goals and potentially even surpass them. So what's next for me, you know, is I develop KPIs and my key performance indicators around how can I best serve not only our investors that invest in our company, but also the people that I have the pleasure and the honor of being able to lead, whether it's my within my real estate company, whether it's in my, my brand, whatever it is, that's what I kind of create KPIs for. So again, I'm sorry, I hate to disappoint you, but no, I be completely authentic. That's, that is what's next for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I, you, know, you don't necessarily have to know exactly what you want to do, but at least, you know, what, every day, at least you put together every day, what are the five action items that you need to do every week, the three, and then every month, what's that one. And then eventually whatever goal that you're aspiring to, whatever, even if you don't know what it is, you know, eventually you'll get to wherever you need to be, but at least, you know, like in the forefront, what you have to do like today. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So I'm curious to ask you based on all the podcast guests that you interviewed, Mm-hmm. What would you say is like the common denominator of every single one of them? Um, in terms of like, what's their goal? Like what, what makes them successful? What makes them successful is coming from a place where you want to serve other people, not want expecting anything in return and just always wanting mm-hmm. to add value to those people. And the thing is, especially in this business, it's all about the relationships that you're building. And so you never know down the road, whoever you're meeting today may come down later on the road, you know? And so it's just building up those relationships and wanting to add value without expecting anything in return. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So Daniel, for you, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Oh man. Uh, (laughs) What a loaded question. Uh, How has real estate investing impacted my life? I will say it's taught me a lot of valuable lessons that I translated into other areas of my life. You know, I mean, real estate investing has taught me so much. You know, I mean, especially because real estate operates in cycles, right? So, you know, the whole lesson of what Warren Buffett says of, you know, be fearful when others are greedy, be greedy when others are fearful. And a lot of people don't, I don't think they grasp the ept, right? And the aptitude of how far real estate can drop and how high real estate can go, you know? 
So it's taught me to be present and not only be present, but also to always concern myself with what's going to happen in the future. So I'll kind of translate that and tie that into a pretty book. Because I'm sure when I said that, a lot of people are like, what is he talking about? I remember I was watching a video by Jeff Bezos. And Jeff Bezos was telling me the story. It was telling, not me, but he was telling this group, right? I wish it was me. Um, but he was telling this group, he was in a room, he was being interviewed. And I think he was at a, an MBA program and a lot of people were there to see him and they were asking him interviewing questions. And he was telling the story how, you know, they were having a party for Amazon and somebody, a stakeholder had gone up and walked up to Jeff Bezos and said, hey, congratulations on a fantastic performance, you know, in, in the previous quarter. And Jeff says, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And the stakeholder asked, well, what do you mean, right? And Jeff simply said, well, it's just that I trained myself and all the other C-level executives in Amazon to always be thinking three years ahead, but a lot of times I forget how well we performed literally this past quarter. So he goes, you know, when I think of, it's gotten to the point where when somebody congratulates me on the last quarter, I actually have memories of what my life was like three years ago. Because three years ago is when we planned the quarter for what just happened. So, you know, that's a great life lesson that I've taken into a lot of different areas of my life, right? So even, you know, just with my marriage, you know, it, it kind of made me think and have conversations with myself along the lines of, man, like, you know, what do I want my wife and I, you know, my wife Lisa and I's relationship to be like in three years? And I don't mean money. I don't mean, you know, nicer house, nicer car. I don't mean, you know, oh, we're going to go on more date nights, right? That's not what I mean. But more so is three years from now, and, you know, am I going to be a better listener to my wife? Uh, am I going to be somebody who's more attentive to her needs? Am I going to be somebody who's prioritizes her more than work or this deal that I got coming up or my friends? You know, am I going to be an individual who genuinely enjoys her companionship more? Right. And that's one of the things that I'm actually working on right now is something that I'm reading about and meditating and praying and asking God about is, you know, not only how can I be a better husband to my wife, Lisa, but how can I be a best friend to her? Right. Like, how can I be her best friend more than I was yesterday? How can I make her feel heard and understood? You know, when I so when I think of stuff like that, and what, you know, the advice that Jeff Bezos gave and especially with real estate. Right. So even with my company, Miati Partners Capital, you know, my partners and I and our executive team, we're already working on things that it's going to be that's going to benefit our investors three years from now. And so these are some lessons that I think really helped me in all areas of my life. So when you ask, you know, how has real estate impacted me? It's impacted me in a great way, I'll tell you. Yeah, and Charlie, when you're talking about like talking to your wife and looking three years down the road, how do you want your relationship to be? It really resonates with me because me and my husband talk about that all the time, but not just about each other, but because we also have two kids. And so we always want to see, we're always trying to figure out like, well, how can we be the best present? How can we be the most present in their lives later down the road? Like, are we going to be available to them? You know, are we going to be able to attend their school functions whenever we want to? Are we going to be able to like let them enjoy these different activities and be able to partake in all that kind of things? So what are some of the things that we can do today to make sure that we can get to that like down the road? But at the same time, wanting to be present today and not forgetting that we're trying to build all these relationships down the road and want to get to that love next level. But at the same time, in building that, sometimes you can't forget you know, to be present in today because you can be so focused on building your business to be able to reach that next level with your family, with your relationships or whatever like that, that you forget to focus on the today as well. Yeah. I would actually argue that you can't, there's no way you can't get to the next level without being present. Yeah. Like you have to be present. You have to be in the moment in order for you to be able to progress to that next level. Right. Because other than that, if you're not doing it, then you're just dreaming. Yes. I totally understand. You're not growing. You're just dreaming. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so every time when our kids are here, you know, we always try to be as present with them as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then I love it when sometimes my son goes like, oh, can you play with us? You know? And so yeah. you hear that and you're just like, okay, let me drop everything because there's only so much time that he's actually going to be wanting to like ask about this and be this in this state of life, you know? And so it's like, we don't want to miss that because it's only for a short period of time. And so like, we really have to enjoy it now. Yeah. And I got to tell you, and I don't have kids yet. My, my wife is major against kids. Uh, I might be a little bit more open to it, but you know, one of the things that even just talking about marriage, one of the things that marriage has taught me, it's taught me a lot about business. I am convinced I'm, I'm a much better businessman. I am today and an investor I am today because I married my wife, Lisa. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I think what I learned in my very short two years of being married is that, you know, marriage is a, is a thing that oftentimes God will use to help us become less selfish. And if you think about that, and you just said it, the common denominator, a lot of times for a lot of successful people is selflessness is how can I add value to other individuals? And man, what a great way to learn how, how not to be selfish by number one, getting married, but also having kids. You know, I mean, somebody told me, he's like, man, when you have kids, you have no room to be selfish yeah. a lot of times. That's so true. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, no, thank you. I really totally enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad we got to connect with you today, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, I had a blast. This is great. And so if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go? Yeah, you know what? They can email me. I get a lot of emails a day, but I love it. You know, I mean, when people ask me like, oh, aren't you too busy? No, I'm never too busy to at least say hi to somebody. We offer a lot of things, right? So we offer a real estate investing coaching program. We help people raise capital and put together deals. Obviously, somebody is looking to allocate their capital towards investing something. We've got a couple of great opportunities coming up that we're raising money for right now. And also, if you wanted to say hi, you know, I love making new friends. Uh, I don't know if you can't tell, but I'm very much of a people person. I love people and hearing about their stories and who they are and what drives them. And then I love helping people too, right? Like just connecting people to other individuals, which by the way, even after we're done recording, I love to figure out ways that I can help you, right? You know, build this podcast to a million followers every single day. So yeah, I mean, if you want to reach out to me, Daniel at thequackbrothers.com, you know, so it's T-H-E, just my last name, and then brothers with an S at the end.com, Daniel at thequackbrothers.com. So like I said, if you want to just say hi, email me just for kicks and giggles, you know, I'm always available. So yeah, thank you for having me on. This was a blast. Yeah. Thank you so much, Daniel. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook. How did they do it? Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.